1: Welcome back to the show, Ridiculous Historians. Thank you, as always, so much for tuning in. Over on the other side of the Zoom call, we've got our one and only super producer, Max Williams. Give him a hand, folks, but don't stop clapping. Well, keep clapping. but I, I'm Ben, but don't clap for me. I need you to clap for someone who's doing double duty today. We've got another super producer who happens to be my near and dear co-host, the one and only Mr. Noel Brown.
0: You know, it's weird, Ben. I'm sitting here in the room with you in person, but I'm just space. I'm still staring at a screen. Uh, right. I, I refuse to meet your gaze, sir. I won't do it. Okay, I'll do it. Oh, there it is. You. Yeah, it's different. It hits different. You know when it's not when you're not in a little box on the screen. Um, but yeah, it's cool. We're here for real. I'm doing double duty. I'm sitting in the old producer chair. Full disclosure: we did this whole intro a minute ago, and I had one of the mics queued up wrong. So this is round two. No, that was a
1: rehearsal. We're that hitting, was all, the, we're hitting all the
0: same beats though. Yeah, yeah, we, we are. We really are. are, and
1: and uh, we are so fortunate today, Noel, because we uh, we rarely get to record in person, but we we. Make Made an exception for today's very special episode. As we said in a previous episode, folks, uh, we're going through kind of a heist phase mm-hmm. here on Ridiculous mm-hmm. History, uh, but we decided to put it on hold for a second because we have the wonderful opportunity to speak to an actual friend of ours, a friend of the show for a long time. You've heard his work anytime you've tuned into Ridiculous History. Uh, he is also related to to our own super producer, Max. Folks, ridiculous historians, uh, let's have a big hand for the creator of not just our soundtrack, but the amazing podcast ephemeral, Mr. Alex Williams. Yeah!
3: Thanks, Ben. The second introduction was even better than the first introduction. Yeah,
0: practice makes perfect. It's and good to be back. I, I love this uh, uproarious applause that Max is inserted <laughs> in here. I think it makes us all feel really good about ourselves right now. Yeah.
4: Uh, Max, is it true that you and Alex are blood relations? That is correct. He is 18 months older than me, and then like four days or something like that.
1: Wow. You're the little brother? Just barely, right? Wow. I am the little brother. Yeah. and And... Yeah. In eighteen months, yeah, that's pretty close. Call it
3: Irish twins.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So, Alex, I got to ask you: on the way
3: to uh, our offices here today, did you did you get? Did you get lost? Did you find your way okay?
1: Hopelessly lost? Cartoonishly lost?
3: Now, I have been here many times, but I'm ashamed to say that I did set up in the wrong studio. There's four studios here, (laughs) Mm -hmm. and I was a little late, and I was running and setting things up and plugging things in feverishly, and I got in, and I got the Zoom open, and I saw that Ben was in a different studio. (laughs) <laughs> had all, this, all the, uh, what do you call these things? Well, the foam, all foamies, the foam stuff foamies, behind him. Yeah. All the foamies so, behind him.
0: Uh, well, you know, you had the benefit of modern technology, at least. At least the Zoom clued you into the fact that you weren't in the right place. But uh, did you at least have some snacks to subsist on? Maybe some thistles and twigs and, uh, and herbs
1: of some sort? There's some old York patties out front still.
3: There's not very many. I have been here a lot lately shooting another show, and uh, I have kind of subsisted on all of those. I think there's one orange lollipop left in there. God, you it know. We didn't come to that yet. We'll see how this
1: goes. <laughs> so uh, this is uh, this is a peek behind the curtain, folks, a f- wonderful example of what we call segues here in podcasting because, Noel, I get the feeling my spider sense tells me that we're going somewhere with this.
0: We are going somewhere. We're going to uh, what is today called Yellowstone National Park And in 1870, it was just like super rough, you know, rugged terrain, wilderness, dare I say. And a gentleman by the name of Truman Everts uh, got hopelessly, as you say, Ben, cartoonishly, terrifyingly lost for a span of 37 days. And he did an account of this. And there's a recent episode of Ephemeral that actually we teased with Max on a recent episode Mm -hmm. of this show. That reenacts, uh, does a dramatization, what'd you call it, of this, uh, this event in Mr. Everett's own words, as voiced
1: by you, Mr. Ben <laughs> Oh, and uh, let us not forget that uh, you make an appearance as well, uh, Mr. Brown. I, say,
0: I think I say something like, We have come for you. <laughs> we have come. <laughs> Alex is like, Can you say it a little bit with more hope? We have come for you. <laughs> well, a little kinder. We have
1: come <laughs> for you. Yeah, Alex is a perfectionist as a director. I feel like maybe I'm. I, maybe we're going to be a little more diplomatic because he's in the room with us nah. right now. Nah. Nah. I don't think nah. so. Nah. Okay. We're, we're too okay. close for that. All, All right. right. So uh, no pleasantries. Uh, so this, uh, Alex, as, uh, as we know, this episode is available now wherever you get your podcast, et cetera, et cetera. But what we wanted to do today was to learn a little bit about your inspiration for this, uh, to get a maybe a behind-the-scenes look at the process of bringing history to life in this way because it's a difficult endeavor, you know, even if you're just doing something as simple as adapting a Shakespearean story to modern language, right, or doing the really weird thing where people update the Bible to modern language, you know, and it's like on the seventh day, God chilled or whatever, you know, like what, where did you originally find 37 days of peril? How did you find it? And what led to you and Max and Trevor, who also is on the ephemeral team? uh, what, What led you all to make this into an episode? I've been thinking
3: about where it was that I found it. And I wish I could tell you specifically, I spend a lot of time in particular back alleys of the internet, like I think we all do. Um, One place I'd spent a lot of time was like Gutenberg, uh, looking at things that are in the public domain that might make good adaptations or inspirations or whatever. I'm sure it was somewhere like that. Um, Or maybe just researching, you know, national parks or something. I'm, I'm just a I'm into public land and hiking and outdoor stuff. I think I came across this story about two years ago. And it's, you know, you talk about updating language. I mean, one of the things that's really special about it is that this guy, Truman Everts, was lost near death, 37 days, as, you know, I'm sure will come up. I mean, it's the name of the episode. It's the name of the story. And then a year after he was rescued, he sat down and wrote everything he could remember. And it was published in 1871 in Scribner's Monthly. Uh, So it's a firsthand account of, you know, essentially being alone in the wilderness for 37 days. So I really didn't want to change anything. I want it was important to me to, uh, you know, if we were going to do some sort of adaptation to do it in the author's own words, Um, because it's just, you know, how many documents like that exist?
0: Well, it's kind of cool because like, there's nothing we can do in talking about this that would spoil it because it really is all about hearing it in his own words through the uh, the dulcet pipes of Ben Bolin. Um, but it's got, you know, amazing, very subtle, beautiful sound design and music and moments that just really kind of pull you into it without being distracting. That's something we can all agree uh, is sometimes in short supply in podcasts that like try to do sound design. Sometimes it can be overdone a little bit, and you do a great job of, like, writing that fine line where it really feels like you're there, but it doesn't distract from the storytelling. So... I have
3: good producers that listen carefully and give
0: me really critical notes. Yeah, that's Um, also But thank you, Noel. But, I mean, what I'm I'm getting at is, uh, I think, you know, one thing... You do discuss it a little bit in in the opening, but um, I'd love to just briefly talk a little bit about who this guy was, what led him to... Have this fascination with exploring the wilderness. It was sort of like, you know, it was a period of exploration in the history of this country. And a lot of the things that we know now as like these national parks were kind of untamed and they, you know, no one had really planted a flag there yet. And do you, can you tell us a little bit about who this Everts guy was and where his fascination with wilderness exploration came from? I mean, he was like a tax collector, wasn't he? Or like a, like a, Tax assessor.
3: Yeah, so Montana and Wyoming were not even states yet. Right. In in 1870, they were like territories, right? And so, uh, yeah, right. And uh, he was the Montana Territory's first federal tax assessor. Mm-hmm. I couldn't tell you too much more about his backstory than that. Um, you know, th- th- most of what's you know out there about Truman Everts is what's contained in 37 Days of Peril. But I know he was out there in Montana. He was the, the, the territory's first tax assessor, whatever.
1: Appointed by Lincoln, mm-hmm. I think.
3: Do you know what a tax assessor does, Ben?
1: Yeah, bro, they assess taxes. Mm-hmm. Oh. So a tax assessor is someone who walks around. They're, they're around today. They, they walk around a given area or region or whatever, and they determine the value of the land or the value of a property. So, like, um, you know, you have people who assess the value of a house in the modern day. This guy has a much bigger kind of responsibility right they're like go to this thing that we're vaguely calling montana and just figure out you know what's worth how much is it worth <laughs> and it's, so that's that's an order of magnitude um more difficult maybe he had some leeway because you know like like you guys point out he's the first person to do it uh but but you're right we we know that he didn't he didn't really have a big precedent, you know, for how to how to pursue this. I'm sure that there were uh, things that he had in mind as goals, but as we'll see, they quickly fell to the wayside when he was just trying not to die.
3: To put it back in biblical terms, uh, the, what you're describing him being the tax assessor of, of this giant swath of untamed land reminds me of God saying to Adam, go name all the
1: <laughs> all the things. <laughs> Name all the well, things. These all need names. Then yeah. I'll help you later. And Adam pointed to his elbow and said, Weenus. <laughs> and God said, Edit that part. <laughs> 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 but the um the yeah, this is this is something that Noel, I know you and I were both we, we were taken with this story on our end. We'd never, I I don't think either of us had ever heard of it until you told us about this story. And it's one of the best examples we've seen of somebody getting lost. And to, to the earlier points you guys made, I don't think it's spoiling the story because the, um, The cinematic sound design is is really much more of, I I think, an experience, right? It's 3D audio. It takes you to a lot of strange places. I think it's fine for us to talk about just how, Max beat me here, how severely this guy f***ed up. (laughs)
0: yeah it's true and also i mean it really is just about hearing it in his own words uh as he recalled it under such intense duress i would have think i would just block all that stuff out but no he was wanting to like re-experience it on the page
3: just being
2: me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only
1: in theaters May 17th. First question, how accurate do you think his recollection was? Uh, or do you think it was maybe embellished?
3: Well, I mean, we all know sort of th- the way that human memory works is not infallible. It's not a, it's not a you know, a videotape. But I think if he was really gonna embellish, he would have maybe made himself look a little bit better. <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> like like fought a bear, you know, like,
3: uh, just like wrestled not a bear. Started to the a ground. huge forest fire.
1: Sure. Yeah. Not made. Uh, not tied pieces of his clothing in these ill-advised ways. This is okay, so maybe we do it maybe we do it this way. Since we're not we're not afraid of spoilers here, we know you're gonna tune into the episode. Uh, why don't why don't you just give us the rough kind of step by step plot points of how this guy, like you say he became a tax assessor, right? And Lincoln gives him this job, go figure out how much this ginormous thing is worth and what happens next.
3: Well, ostensibly he does that and then his term is done or whatever and he's just out in montana he doesn't really have a gig anymore he's kind of looking for the next thing he's just vibing he he he's 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 very you know he he writes about how he's very astonished and 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 mesmerized by the the, the character of the rocky mountains and the and the scenery and all those lovely uh there's all, all these lovely all, all these lovely phrases kind of antique phrases about about how charming he finds it all and there's uh, one of the first, if not the first, big expedition going out through Yellowstone. It's called the Langford Doan Expedition. Um, there's some other names attached to it, too. It's like 20-ish folks on horseback who are going to go out for a couple of months. And they follow, I think, the Snake or the Yellowstone River south and are just going to traverse the country and, you know, take maps and drawings and do all kinds of amazing explorer things that I think... People in, uh, in our era maybe just kind of dream about, you know, this idea that every little corner of the globe is mapped and explored in GPS.
1: So from their perspective, there's a bit of terra incognita here, right? Like the uh, the people who have lived in this land for thousands and thousands of years, they already... Know the score, and they, you know, they they're intimately uh, attuned to the passage of the seasons, to the wildlife, the flora and fauna. But for these guys, would you say it's fair? It's fair to say that f- for most of them, a lot of this was absolutely brand new.
3: Yeah, homeboy was from Vermont. Like, he, <laughs> yeah, he had never. Th- yeah, this was all. This was all completely new to him. And he probably. I mean, this. He doesn't straight up say this, but he probably thought he was a little bit more rugged than he was.
0: Oh, I mean, he was, you know, by most accounts, pretty feeble. And he was, like, the oldest guy in the group. And I think he was, like, hopelessly nearsighted and, like, really had a hard time seeing, you know, anything that was, like, not, like, you know, a couple feet in front of his face. So pretty odd choice, you know, to, to go on this, like, super taxing physical kind of journey, right?
3: But so he gets, in, he gets in the caravan of horses. They're, you know, they, I think, have been out for about a month. Uh, they leave in mid-August. It's mid-September. There's one day. Everyone's there. They're, you know, clearing uh, these immense windfalls of, of uh, pine trees and all this brush, and they're getting through it. And it's just, it's super taxing work. Uh, you know, there's no trails cut or anything, obviously. Camp that night, they're like, hey, where's Truman? <laughs> <laughs> Did he just, like,
0: wander off? Was is it? Is it I maybe mean, he just like lost, you know, the 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 trail because of his like poor vision. Right? Like, do you have a sense of like how he got separated? So uh, it was
3: while clearing one of these well, uh, one of these immense windfalls, he calls it. He wandered out of sight and 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 sound of his comrades, uh, you know, looking for a passage through it, looking through his own way, and he just sort of, I think, maybe kind of spaced out in the forest a little bit, and was just sort of wandering. All that grandeur you speak of. He probably
0: was just so taken by it. He, everywhere. Was just, he was just distracted. And no I think he might
3: have been a little worn out. And uh, and then he's like, a moment later, he's kind of like, oh, w- where's everybody at? <laughs> and he realizes that he's wandered just away from everybody in this expansive wilderness. And uh, so he gets on his horse. He's riding around. He's trying to retrace his... his, his the, his footprints or the the horse's trail, but there's pine needles everywhere and he can't really tell what's going on. He's like getting off and like looking at the ground and scouring it to be like, is this a footprint? And eventually he comes to a clearing. He gets off his horse and as he says, do you remember this part, Ben? <laughs> he says, leaving my horse unhitched, as was always my custom. Right, yeah. That's oh, yeah, not really a pro move right there. Is no, it? <laughs> no, no, no. Walks a few rods into the forest. I'm sorry. Rods? Is that a uh, like a parsec? Is that like a? <laughs> a it's a half a parsec, I think. Okay. Got it. <laughs> and uh, there's a beat, and he hears his horse whinny and take off.
1: Yeah. Because the horse is also like there's it, there's stuff that doesn't happen in this episode, so this is almost like um, you know how on popular television shows they have people get together and they like chat about what happened mm-hmm. in the episode. I feel like we're we're kind of getting this vibe because we're pulling back a little bit of curtain on on Everts, how he presented himself versus what maybe the reality was versus how his crew perceived him. Because I was interested to learn, like, first off, they had this plan, right? If anybody gets lost, no matter how, like, feeble or fit they are, they've got to meet back at that one point, you know, like people's parents will do at an amusement park, right? I mean,
0: that works, though. You have, like, the, you know, the claw machine or whatever at the amusement park. Not so much in the untamed wilderness that was the Yellowstone of the uh, late 1800s.
3: So his horse takes off, flies galloping away from him, and he never sees his horse. What's again. the horse's
0: name? Did you catch the horse's name? The Any horse is not
3: named in the manuscript. The um, horse's name is... Would you is, like to name it here today? How about how about Peony? Peony. Peony takes off, and is, uh, Everett never sees Peony again, and strapped to Peony is... All his stuff. All his stuff. Ev- everything except for like
1: five or six little things, right? He
3: says he's got two knives the clothes on his back, and a small opera glass. That's always got left.
1: Yeah, and this, this so he is, um, the military term for this is he is FUBAR. And there's this deal that all everybody made where they said, okay, if anybody gets lost, we're going to meet at the shore of Yellowstone Lake, right? Like the southern shore. And so it, it was interesting. After we worked on this episode together, I went back, and I was like, all right, what's the what's the score? What do other people say? And there's a guy from his party, Nathaniel P. Langford, who kept a diary of how they were trying to find Everts. But if you, from Everts' account, he was trying to find them, and in a very polite way, he's like, those assholes ditched me. And, like, he doesn't seem to resent them when the way he's written it, you know, um, but... You get the sense that he feels like um, it was just a series of unfortunate events beyond his control, and he hadn't done anything abnormal. He never hitched his horse. Peony would never ditch someone like that, and Peony very much did, of course. So Langford, just for comparison here, he has a diary where he says, look, we're— shooting guns to try to signal to this guy where we are and Everts never mentions that oh he doesn't which makes me wonder how far away he actually went you know
3: I don't think he really had the survival skills for this in the first place oh yeah at this moment this is day one yo he's thrust into (laughs) it how do you how do you wander that far
0: off though and like to what end you know weren't they like bedding down for the night and stuff like was
3: he just having a nice night walk like you like to have Ben I love a night walk it was late in the afternoon when he got separated when they were when they were getting through the pine windfall
1: yeah interesting and uh, and then night begins to set in in what what's his emotional state at this point
3: he is terrified he does not seem to like the night outside at all which Again, begs the question why he would embark on a several month camping trip. Uh-huh. Uh yeah, he says his mind is instinct with terror.
1: Now what's the weather like at this
3: point? It's September 9th. Uh I think it's pretty temperate still. It's not gonna stay that way. Uh, Spoiler alert. Yeah, well, let's not forget the name of the uh piece is 37 Days. <laughs> He's a couple days in. <laughs> Just as an aside, if you were worried about the horse, Peony was recovered by uh, uh, the the rest of the party. Riderless, but
1: yeah, Peony was all right. So if he had just stayed on the horse, right? Because that's the thing that I thought too. Like if the horse is running off, it's either running away from something or it's running towards something. Mm -hmm. And if Mm -hmm. it was running away from something, the Everts would probably have also clocked it. You know, if it was like a bear or... A large cat of some sort. Yeah. And it's interesting because, you know, he had no
0: provisions. I mean, I don't believe any of the items that were on him were snacks. Couple knives, he said. An opera glass, and the clothes on his body. Yeah, no,
3: Jesus, no,
0: no cheeses. We're actually running really desperately low on cheeses here at the office too. It could end up being a wilderness type scenario if we're not careful. Yeah, we might have to go downstairs. Oh God, can you imagine? <laughs> um, but it no, it's it's crazy. Like I mean, like you said, he's very ill-equipped. Just in general, his constitution doesn't seem very fit for this kind of trip. And now he's completely, you know, alone out in the wilderness. And what's the, what's it like out there? You know in the days before it was, I mean, you know, Yellowstone's still pretty rugged, obviously, but at this point, would have been no trails cleared, like you said, absolutely teeming with uh, with beasties, right? And like, uh, you
3: know, wildlife. Yeah, the second night, he, uh, so he so he spends time looking for his horse, which is a mistake. He spends a half day looking for his horse when he should have just gone, like you're saying, Ben, and found his camp. He, he recollects, uh, reflects on that in his essay. The second night, uh, I believe it's, the, I believe it's, the, yeah. The second night, he's uh, laying at the foot of a tree. He's made himself a little bed of like pine branches and foliage, and he's tucked in there and fallen asleep for the night. And he's roused by the sound. He calls it, he says it sounds like the sound of a, a,
1: a human scream coming through the forest. Oh, Max is going to have fun with that one. <laughs> is it like a Wilhelm human scream? <laughs> oh,
3: yes, that's exactly it. It's the original. Um, it turns out it's a mountain lion. Fine, Bounding for him. Oh, God. Now, yeah. they say mountain lions are really, really rare to spot in the wild. But this one charges at him, at least according to his account. Mm-hmm. And he screams in return. Oh! Which we we have a fun scream from my friend Nathaniel in there. Runs up the tree and gets to the top and is shaking all oh, the limbs and breaking branches and hurling them at the wildcat. And just you trying get out of make...
0: here. Get out
3: of here. You <laughs>
5: we
3: should have had
0: you do that. That's great. We don't want you around here. It's like it's like in all the sad dog movies when like you're doing the dog a favor by letting it go. Mm-hmm. You got to be mean to it even though it hurts you. Can't just you, say you know?
3: I don't want you anymore. No, exactly. That's kind of what happened with Peony, bro. That backfired. Oh yeah, it <laughs> seems so. No,
0: it's definitely much more of a like, please don't like eviscerate me. Right. Uh, and mountain
1: lions can climb trees if I'm not mistaken. Right. Mountain lions are dope mm-hmm. and dangerous. Mm-hmm. Like they, like they. Yes, they. D and D. They will get you. They are the original D and D. So we already see this is going from whoops to bad to worse to worse and worse and worse. Uh, He is at this point, um, he is still in possession of his mental faculties, though, which is why he has the even though panicked, he has the presence of mind to do, you know, basic like try to scare off predator type stuff. Um, I mean, I would imagine he's a little shook at this point for sure. Oh, very much. And so. Possibly
0: those mental faculties are beginning to leave him. Yeah, there's but some. He's still there. with it to a to a degree at this point. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so what happens with the mountain lion? Like I said, I mean, I thought a mountain lion could like totally shimmy up a tree. Like, how I does,
3: think they definitely can. Yeah. Yes. He says that he was he was screaming and breaking branches and, and throwing things at him, and then he had a moment of clarity that he should try silence. <laughs> <laughs> Good. You know, well, let's try something completely different than what I was doing before. <laughs> and now for something completely different. Was it like one last yell? One last,
0: get out of here, you! I don't even lie, I don't want to be your friend!
3: One last Wilhelm scream. Yes. And,
0: <laughs> and then, Wait a minute, no, on second thought, hush, a hush falls over the, the forest. Mm-hmm. Only the sounds of the swaying thickets of thistles and leaves and such. And the mountain lion quizzically uh, peers around. He's like you know what, I think I'm just gonna go. Right,
3: that's exactly it. And then he slides down the tree and goes back to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> that's day two, bro. That's just <laughs> day two. We ain't gonna do every day, but that we can't day two. do it every
1: day. But so you can already see, just like as as you said, Alex, from day two, this stuff is bonkers, and that's still just the beginning of. <laughs> just the beginning of these misadventures. I believe that even the weather is against him at one point.
5: Snag a job is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text "snag" to two four two four two four to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire.
2: Me.
3: Yeah, we're talking like day three, day four Jeez. that weather turns, and it's basically a blizzard.
0: What? Just overnight goes from temperate to blizzard?
3: You know, up in that high elevation, that yeah, happens, man. It's, that's it's, interesting. It's dangerous up there. They tell you that when you go, you know, hike in the Rocky Mountains. Now, like you need, you know, you need to be ready to get down the mountain or get shelter quickly. Got versus, it. You know, the weather can change really, really fast at high elevation. Uh, so yeah, he's got this you know, crazy blizzard and storm. I think it's it's snow and rain, actually, that's uh, overshadowing him and and reducing his clothing to its pitiless peltings.
0: Yes, says that. yes, he does say that, yes. Anyone that's in, into weird, anachronistic turns of phrase, it's going to be, this is going to be absolute catnip for yeah. you. Yeah. You're going to really dig it. Yeah, you'll sniff um, it up. But he, he he's he's pretty smart. Everyone's heard of, like, you know, Old Faithful and all of the hot springs, you know, around this uh, part of the world those are a great source of heat, and he be very smartly uses them to stay warm, but makes a few uh, unfortunate calculations, if I'm not mistaken.
3: Yeah, I think he spots them from seeing them steaming from a distance, yeah. and he makes his way over there, finds himself a hot spring, and basically just sets up camp for like seven days as this storm rages. He says it was like a sauna, I guess, because it's, you know, mm-hmm. cold and wet outside, and it's warm and wet right here
1: mm-hmm.
3: and so then he's he's living in the hot springs one night he is sleeping and rolls over in his sleep and with his hip breaks the crust on a hot spring next to him and scalds his hip yeah. what,
0: what would that be like logistically you break the crust and then just the steam vents out like really fast and
3: it's very hot water okay got very you. hot water yeah. right there okay yeah you guys ever been in a hot spring
0: i have I've I been have. i have been like in a Like a, not a resort, but it's like a, you know, a place that's got little tubs built around Mm. the hot springs. It's actually literally called Hot Springs, North Carolina, if I'm not mistaken. It's really cool.
3: I don't want to say the name of it here because I don't want people to flock to it, but I went to an amazing, just out in the wilderness, backpacking like 10 miles, hot springs in uh, the Olympic Peninsula in Washington state. Mm. Oh, you
2: mentioned
1: that. Yeah.
3: Wow. I mean, like the most magical forest, old, giant old trees, all mossy and mm-hmm. stones that are like green and white and purple from the algae that's coming from the sulfur springs. Uh, yeah, I'll tell you guys, I'll, I'll, we, can, we can take a group trip there. <laughs>
1: so, uh, yeah, so I've had some experience with uh, hot springs. Uh, some have been really stunning, like the one you're describing, and some have been, a little bit of a letdown, you know. I'm not going to name names either, but there's a moment <laughs> where you realize, hey, these are more like warm springs. Oh, whoa. <laughs> so some people will get that. Uh, but but yes, yeah, so he is stuck between two extremes of weather, right? Uh, and he, for a moment, has a very real chance of either dying of cold or dying uh, due to the heat from these springs, right?
3: Yeah, he also, uh, I'm, I'm sure people are wondering what he was eating. For like three days or something, he didn't eat. Oh, yeah. And then he discovers, he's staring at the ground one day, and he sees this different color of green, this really bright color of green. And he goes and pulls it up by the root, and it's a thistle. And basically for 30, he's you know, 34 days at this point, he eats... Raw thistles. That's so, all he eats.
1: so, a thistle, from what I understand, is like a, uh, it's, it's spiky, right? I have never eaten a thistle, Ben. I have, I have, e- I, I believe that Everts is eating a thistle root.
3: Yes, yes. Okay.
1: So, this is, this is funny. This is one uh, kind of accolade he does get, one distinction when he survives. He has a thistle named after him. Nice.
3: Does he really? It's I called, called Everett's
1: Thistle. Ah, he deserved at least
3: that. I mean. He's got a mountain named after him, Okay, too. and he also Mount deserved Everest, that. Clearly. This guy is just <laughs> failing upwards.
0: Not to be confused with Mount Everest.
3: These are two different <laughs> things. <laughs> right. Just just to, just, to clear the air there. Um, Google, yeah, Google did tell me that I typed in Mount Everest and it's like... Did you mean Mount Everest? Yeah, see,
4: unfortunately. You sure you want Mount Everest? Just to jump in here. I mean, like you can just like, you know, if you ever climb Mount uh, Everest, whenever you tell people, you can just say it really fast. <laughs> oh, <laughs> like, wow. Yeah, yeah, I climbed uh, Mount Everest. I didn't even have a Sherpa or anything. <laughs> it was fine. It took me 37 days, but I did it. <laughs> yes, and I had a lot of thistles. A lot of thistles. Yeah, it's
0: true though. A thistle. I'm right. We're we're all right. A thistle is. It's very pretty, but it's very uh, rough and spiky underneath the beautiful kind of like pink flowery leaves. So he would boil these roots, if I'm not mistaken. When and he was, was living yeah. in his
3: sauna in the in the hot springs during the storm, one of many storms. Yeah, he had a little dinner pot that he would cook his roots in. Um, I'm. I don't think that it was a. Great way to subsist, but I think probably cooking them was nice when he could do Wait, that.
0: Where'd he get the dinner pot? Was that attached to a hitch to his belt or something? I thought he only had what was No, like it. a
3: little bubbling spring. He just called it his dinner oh, he pot. he called yeah. it his dinner pot. He like, so he's like got his feet in one and his feet are already frostbitten oh, and God. festering. Now his hip <sighs> is burnt and he's just like lounging out in the steam bath. Getting parboiled mm-hmm. and dipping roots in here, and like on the one hand, that sounds kind of pleasant, um, but you know, under
4: the circumstances, he's obviously suffering horrendously while he's doing this. Yeah, you know, Noel, when I was listening to this, i I thought the same thing as you. I was like, that sounds kind of pleasant, honestly. Yeah, like, you know, going out there with all the steam up, and know? stuff. Well,
0: let's not forget the onset of gangrene, the onset of uh, frostbite, and potential. And uh, who knows? I mean, it just has no medical. Um, intervention of any kind. He has no supplies. Mm -hmm. I mean, that hip could have really festered, you know, or any number of injuries that he could have gotten. You know, a twisted ankle could have killed him, you know?
1: Mm. Indeed. And that's something I think uh, is really instructive for folks who enjoy exploring the outdoors today but are unfamiliar with it. Uh, When you are genuinely out in the wild and you don't have – you don't have a safety net system or something, a, a broken ankle or something that would feel like a small injury in civilization can be fatal and can be very quickly. So uh, for we it's in our mind, folks, it's OK to roast Everett or to parboil him a little bit because he made it out. But in this situation already, he has survived several things that Have in the past spelled doom for other explorers.
0: Absolutely. Um, so definitely, props to him for being resourceful and figuring out how to make this environment work for him. But there are some choices that he makes that are pretty stupid—not uh, for him and his own personal safety, but like for like the whole gorgeous natural wonder that he was so taken by. Right.
3: So he's he's wondering while he's sitting in the springs how he's gonna make fire.
1: Oh, I thought you were going to say, "How much are these springs worth?" <laughs> he's,
3: he's tax assessing. He's always tax assessing. He's wondering how he's going to make a fire. Mm. He's thinking about all the ways to make fire: rubbing sticks together. Maybe he wasn't so good at that one. Have you guys ever done, you were yes,
1: you've done that. I'm it's sure. a pain in the ass. It seems really, just hard, take a right? lighter with you or a fire uh, flintlock or something. You know, a twisted fire starter.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, the prodigy. Remember that spiky-haired guy? He's like, I'm the fire starter. <laughs> Twin fire, fire
1: starter. starter. Oh my god. Okay, so we'll get to we'll get to that part. That's extremely important for the story.
0: Really quickly, Ben, I have to point out that we really should take more advantage of the fact that we're in the same room to sing together. Because over <laughs> Zoom, it's impossible to do because of the delay. Of the, lag. Yeah. the delay.
1: Mm-hmm. You're right, and when you're right, you're right. Uh, so this this moment here, uh, when he's trying to figure out how to make a fire, this is a a. Um, a tremendously profound moment for him, and it reminded me about the Jack London story. Mm. Like, I think it's to build a fire, to make a fire, and that is also about a guy who's having a very difficult time making a fire, and it becomes a life-or-death matter. So, you you know, he he does try the sticks-together method, which is like friction, trying to build a spark. And again, from experience, it is possible, it also stinks. Uh, if, they, if you are listening, you're in some survival course, and they make you do it, they should also say, hey, if you have to do this right now, you already messed up. You should have had a lighter. But he didn't have a lighter, right? He had nothing. He had the opera glass. And that's where he puts it together.
3: He Once the sun comes out, he tries it out with the opera glass, which I guess, Ben, is what, like like half a binocular?
1: Yeah, yeah, I believe so. It's a
3: short... Yeah, it is. It's
0: one side of a binocular. Some opera glasses are two of them, mm-hmm. but I think you would just call those opera... No, you would call those opera glasses, too, but I think... You know what? No, a proper pair of opera glasses is two and there's a little stick usually that goes on them and you hold them with your pinky out, uh, you know, so that you can see the 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 tenor do his big death scene, you know, from the cheap seats. <laughs> see the ululations. 100%. Uh,
1: and, and Noel is speaking from authority here, mm-hmm. folks. I hope it's okay if I say this on air. Real well, I was
0: once a young German boy.
1: Right. And your mother was an opera singer. It's true. She yeah, was. And so... once an
0: opera singer all. she's basically like an aged diva. She's kind of a Sunset Boulevard type figure. <laughs> <laughs> you know. um, but it's true. We have some vintage opera glasses around the house, so I think actually it what you would be referring to would be a spyglass, like a single tiny uh, uh, yeah. telescope.
3: So this he probably- calls it an opera glass. I imagine something. Probably there's no photos or anything, right. obviously. And I don't think it's there. There are like nine illustrations with the article, mm-hmm. but I don't believe that the opera glass is illustrated in any of them. So I don't know if it was. He always refers to my lens. Ah, okay. okay you know. So
1: it's probably it's maybe not binocular. It's probably um, some some smaller magnifying thing like a like a tiny telescope, mm-hmm. like a tiny telescope. Yeah, 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 like a microscope. And so this is <laughs> yes. <laughs> there we are. And so he has. Uh, he desperately needs fire. Uh, one cannot live on raw thistles for the rest of their lives. Right, but that's a question he's quarrelling with. How does how does he begin putting this get together? You said he puts it together.
3: Well, he's got to wait for the sun to come out. Sun comes out, he does the old like I would never condone this, but like a frying frying the ants kind of trick.
1: Uh, mm-hmm. You know,
3: you get the light and you concentrate it. You know, you put the broad end towards the sun and and the narrow end towards whatever you're trying to uh, set a flame. Mm-hmm. And it's a really lovely moment, actually. Sees the little, you know, the little bit of bark in his fingers, the little little smoke curl from it. And he says to himself in that moment, he says, I will not despair.
1: Yes. Yeah, that's and that is a powerful, primal thing, you know, because that's one of the that that is, I think, one of the first big moments where he is sort of exerting human ingenuity over the wilderness and all the other things are things where he's barely scraping by in response to a disaster right like oh I can eat these I, I can eat these weeds Th- that'll work oh I'll 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 hide from the mountain lion whoo uh, I'll run from the storm I'll try not to boil alive and so this is one of the times where he starts taking more active control of the situation I would argue but if you are in that moment, and we've had you know folks listening today you may have found yourself lost in the woods uh, and you know that there can be that gut-sinking moment when you're thinking oh how how do i get get out of here and so he has already passed that moment and when he's making fire there's something promethean about it to him it, it in his mind it's a light at the end of the tunnel i would say
3: I I I think that's absolutely it. I mean, it's you know, it's very human. He's yeah, harnessed this power. Yeah, he, he's he's created something, uh, and he's taking charge of his own destiny.
0: And yet, then there's kind of a like, womp, <laughs> womp,
3: womp,
0: <laughs> kind of moment. Where we I end guess. the first act on a high note. <laughs> good, good, but there's two
3: more. He's only like eleven days in or whatever.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, that spark, you know, eventually becomes a, a roaring flame. That then, you know. Uh,
3: Smokey the Bear would not approve. It, it spreads. So he's sleeping on a beach one night. He's made it down to Yellowstone Lake mm-hmm. some days later. And he's made a nice fire on the beach. He's actually lost his slipper that night, I think. Yes. And he has oh my God. really yeah. traumatic thing looking for the
0: slipper. Have you seen the Pine Barrens episode of The Sopranos? You yeah. haven't seen this. Before. OK, it's a classic epstein standalone episode where Paulie and Christopher get lost in the Pine Barrens, uh, which is this this rugged area of New Jersey where notoriously people go to bury bodies. And Paulie loses his shoe at one point. And it becomes a real uh, bone of contention between the two
3: gangsters. Directly inspired from 37 Days of Peril. I'm Clearly. calling it. I'm mm-hmm. calling it. Clearly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it's in the public domain, so it's it's the, the, the <laughs>
0: purview you to do this. So a thing. this is more of a loafer that Polly loses. This is a
3: slipper. He's it's a it's a sandal. He's made his boots into sandals. And Ben and I talked about that a lot. When Why we has he doing done the, this? We really haven't been able to figure <sighs> it out. No. He cuts his the counters of his boots off and turns them into a passable pair of slippers. No, he calls them slippers. He does. But
1: it's cold,
3: and he's all right? he's doing is walking right up mountains. So. We couldn't figure that out. Like,
1: wouldn't you want the ankle support? You'd want the ankle support. You'd
0: want the coverage, you know? Right. Uh, yeah.
3: So if anyone's got uh, uh, insight into that, um, write to Jonathan Strickland at yes. that's right. not, I'm sure that's not the joke you guys use anymore. It's close. No, and it's honestly, close. those addresses are still active. So. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. We
1: write to our complaint department, which is Jonathan Strickland at com. All right. I wasn't too far off. No, you nailed it. 24, <laughs> 24 hours a day, seven days a week.
3: So anyways, he finds his slipper and he's got great relief and he lays down on the beach next to this big fire mm-hmm. and he mellows out and he listens to the dash and roar of the waves. And then he wakes up and his fin- he's on fire. Um, he is, Yeah, his fire has gotten totally uh, picked up by the wind and his, and his, his, his hair is singed closer than a barber would have trimmed it as running away from the beach and and, and, and into higher elevation. And then he he gets gets out there and takes a beat and stands on this, like, crest and watches this fire turn into a giant forest
1: fire. A conflagration, right? That's the name for it? Mm Mm-hmm. Honestly,
3: that's some of the most beautiful writing in the whole piece. When he's talking about the grandeur of the burning forest, surpasses all description. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's great in in the in the tenor of Ben Bolan.
1: Oh, geez, you got to stop with these. And the and, and also he does something really really interesting in the writing here. Uh, Lovecraft does this too. He's like the grandeur exceeds all description, as you said, and then he Norman describes describe it. <laughs>
3: for
2: just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute, without parent. Only in theaters May 17th.
1: Let's end on that pivotal note for now, as far as the course of our story. Uh, Noel, I think, you know, you raised a really good point off air. We wanted to give you some highlights and some context we're not going to tell you the whole thing,
0: huh? Well, yeah. I mean, even though Alex said off mic before we started recording that really hard to spoil this thing in terms of the ending. We do know that the guy is rescued. But there are more adventures and misadventures to, uh, to be heard if you listen to the full episode. But, again, it really is all about the full experience and hearing it in uh, Everett's own words. But— Alex, you know when you're doing something like this and, and, and ephemeral in general. I mean, like a lot of the audio you're mining is like from found audio, found sound, like different you know public domain sites on the internet. Uh, and you know, don't no need to reveal your sources. I know that stuff is very uh, it's very hush hush, and I totally get it. But what's your approach for? I don't know, building a sonic tapestry like this. I know you have a lot of help from folks like Max and Trevor, but, I mean, the whole thing was your vision. The first season was largely, like, you doing all this stuff. And peek behind the curtain, like, you and I, like, mess with music and play music together, and I think we're both, like, super audio nerds. And how do you bring that love of sonics to an audio show like this that's ultimately about storytelling?
3: Yeah, I mean, it's sort of different for every episode, right? I mean, we usually do... uh it's mostly a nonfiction history. So, so, uh, often it's, it's an interview that we've started with and we've cut down an interview, but we've done these sort of scored audiobook things before. Um, the difference with this one was that, yeah, there wasn't really a really great audio book out there already of it. Unlike LibriVox or anything, which is a free, uh, public domain audiobook site. Um, so a, like the f- first thing was finding an actor that could pull it off because while it's, Well, it's really beautiful writing, and like you called it, it's got all kinds of very interesting phrases. It is not the kind of thing that you could just hand to anybody. Uh, Somebody with a lot of experience talking into a microphone and uh, able to take on some of these long phrases and clauses and twisting sentences. And Noel
1: was on vacation. I think (laughs) Jonathan Strickland was deported. I literally called
3: everybody else. (laughs) Yes, yeah. Ben, your
0: self-deprecation is killing me. You absolutely are the man for the job. Um, You have a certain gravitas to your delivery, Ben. I mean, because at first, you can kind of feel the guy's deteriorating mental state with your delivery the progression the way you kind of lose hope almost like in the sound of your voice it's very well done uh, and no more compliments from here on out i promise but yeah. it's true i mean alex makes a good point it really is about casting because the words are already there on the page but it's like one thing to read something in your mind on a page another thing to actually say it out loud and have it like land
3: right in all sincerity it, it was the most important thing for truman to feel human so you could sympathize with him. So it didn't just feel like I don't know a block of old timey text.
1: And that's something that's tough too, because in these in these adaptations, you know, uh, this guy is writing before the rise of radio, right? Mm-hmm. He's writing before the rise of you know, spoiler, podcasting, right? So, so people write very differently back then. They take their time with sentences, you know, they they have um maybe not to the extent of like James Joyce or uh henry james but they do they do tend to wind and sort of wind on at the point where you know you realize half a page has passed and so you did a lot of work uh you and your team were you saying hey we want to stay true to this story but we also need to make sure that it is a viable understandable story for people to experience did you have Did you have moments where you found yourself really in the trenches of like, okay, Truman, I know what what you're trying to say, buddy. How difficult was it to sort of walk the line on the adaptation of the text here?
3: I I went through the whole story probably a dozen times or more editing it. Mm -hmm. Um, I really didn't change any of his phrasing or his words, but I did just kind of cut it for a little bit for content and a little bit just mostly for time, hmm. uh, to try and cl- clarify it, make it something that would fit in like an hour. So it's not the complete unabridged text. It's very, it's, it's pretty close. Um, and we've got the unabridged text everywhere, but it's a little bit more kind of clarified than that. Honestly, I sort of sweated every every line of that, <laughs> you know, because I just want, you know, the, the larger project for me here is, right, it, it's a really incredible story. It's incredible that it's a firsthand account. It's incredible that the guy survived. And I worry that things like this, I'm glad it's digitized, I'm glad it's out there and that it's got, you know, some articles and stuff about it online, but I worry that things like that, you know, will become irrelevant and, and maybe get completely lost.
1: And it's it's a very real possibility. It's something that you and your team have already seen in the course of uh, in the course of different episodes of ephemeral, you know uh, the two part series on video stores, I think was uh, very well done. and one one thing that really I think that ephemeral really speaks to, and one reason that and Noel, not to speak for you, but one reason I think we're both big fans is because each of these episodes of this show have so much time and care put into them, uh, and sometimes I get the feeling like, is, is Alex out here finding a story that doesn't want to be found, or is he racing some sort of ticking clock, you know, after which point... The people who could have told you this story are gone, right? And the and that's something you probably run into. or are you reaching a point where the only record of this story was a physical record that's never been digitized, and will it go away, you know, how what disaster will strike next? So you know, in with that in mind, I do actually have a question here. So with that in mind...
3: Sorry, you can just tell me nice things about (laughs) Ephemeral all day. This this is a great podcast.
1: Well, this is stuff Noel and I talk about too. But with that in mind, one of the questions I know we had before was, what motivates you and Trevor and Max to pick a specific story? Like, do you have a a list of sort of draft picks and then you narrow it down? Or do you you get struck with a Eureka moment and say like... uh, Holy smokes, Stephen Foster—he he had he had a mariachi phase or something like that. You know, I don't think he did. Just for the record,
3: I mean that's the next episode, but well, oh. I'm not going to spoil that <laughs> one. Uh, you know, they come from different from different ways. Uh, you know, like sometimes it is sort of a larger. I mean, I mean to answer you. To really answer your question, Max, Trevor, and I have a million ideas. Okay. We have a very long list of ideas that we meet on all the time and are always kind of, and we sort of all have our own approaches to uh, to tackling that. Sometimes it is kind of a larger cultural thing like um, video stores, like you mentioned, which is all the work of Trevor Young. Trevor took August and made two fabulous episodes on video stores. Um, and the sort of rise, fall, decline, and how they really, really changed Our uh, relationship with media in this world. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's like, all right, well, that's a cool idea. Go find the people who can talk about it. Found a guy named Dan Herbert who was just on the cusp. It was like around 2011, I think. He took himself on a road trip. Um, He's a University of Michigan professor. And he took himself on a road trip and drove all around the country and tape recorded him going to video stores and just talking to people, talking to someone in Cheyenne or whatever. And it's like, oh, yeah, it's what's a tanning salon and a video store. And, you know, <laughs> just getting all these, pe- and some people trying to sell him their video stores and stuff on the spot. And um, and then sometimes it's like this, the, like the, the 37 days one where you find this one record, whether that's a recording uh you know audio recording or video or an image or an essay like this is or a manuscript Mm -hmm. that's just a a one-of-a-kind that doesn't you know it's just nothing else quite like it and it's like okay that's a thing that can we breathe some new life into this like can we put this in whatever you know whatever little influence that we have like back on the radar of the public consciousness
1: And it's not an easy process, it sounds like, right? No,
0: I mean, first of all, even identifying those gems, it requires a real curatorial eye and a fascination with this kind of stuff. That's sort of the mission of the whole show, the idea of, uh, you know, returning things that maybe were lost to history or lost to technology even, you know, like the idea of ephemera often has to do with outdoor, moded technology or things that are no longer uh, as easy to play anymore like things like you know 78s or you know old eight tracks or things like that or things that were written and maybe never you know archived and things like that so i think it's awesome what you're doing it really is almost like a an internet archive kind of project and uh big fan of the show and i think anyone that likes the show will absolutely like it as well yes but you still have to listen to our show please Please. <laughs> just my listen girlfriend, to by the, the way, theme song. <laughs> my girlfriend, by the way, uh, doesn't listen to our show. Um, <laughs> she <laughs> just told me the other day that she started listening to Ephemeral. And I'm like,
3: wow. it's messed up. You
1: just can't wait. It's messed know? up. <laughs> she did text
3: text me some nice words about it yeah she really likes it well maybe she'll listen to this one yeah maybe so
0: (laughs) maybe so uh womp womp uh but man alex thanks so much for joining us today Mm -hmm. thanks
3: for having me and i and and really it's it's worth listening for the vocal performances if nothing else and noel you're you're also in there as a hunter Yes, spent his life among the wilderness, and I will not spoil that. But you uh, have a really great moment right at the end of the episode. Nailed it. Yes,
0: we've, we've come for you. No, after <laughs> after after, uh, that, after okay. that. Okay, About, okay. I, I, won't, I won't spoil it, but it involves <laughs> some kind of gross, doesn't it? <laughs> it's
3: a it's a little gross. It's maybe one of the grosser parts. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. it's well intentioned though. We can't we can't keep spoiling,
3: dude. It's a miracle, basically. Oh, yes, it is. yes. Okay, let's uh, leave uh, it at
1: zip, that. And uh, I'll oh, tell me, you what so. else
0: is a miracle. Miracle is uh, is you, Ridiculous Historians, each and every one of you. God's miracles to podcast them.
1: Yes, Uh, thank you so much, folks. Thank you, Alex Williams, for hanging out. Uh, Before we head off into the wilds of our own, could you tell everybody where to find ephemeral, where to learn more about uh, your work? Because you don't just do ephemeral, which is really weird and amazing to me that you do other stuff as well. I'm totally lost right now. Get it? Yes.
3: Um, uh, <laughs> what do you, you want to know where to find it? Ephemeral.show. Okay. Or on, on all the social things, at Ephemeral Show. And uh, what you want me to talk about other things that I work on? Yeah, yeah. <sighs> uh, what are we doing right now? We're, we've got a new season of 13 Days of Halloween coming out mm-hmm. on the 19th of October, and that'll run day, day over day for 13 days. I will not spoil anything about that. But because I don't want no, to lose much out, not a spoiler, <laughs> but uh,
0: it is another kind of immersive storytelling podcast with uh, 3D audio touches, I
3: believe. Right? Yeah, the first season featured Keegan Michael Key. It's mm-hmm. all on yeah, binaural 3D audio. It's uh, like a you know listener discretion advised. It comes from Blumhouse and Aaron Mankey and, and us here at iHeart. Yeah
1: and then uh you and the one and only mr max williams have some future episodes of ephemeral coming out which we said we wouldn't spoil right it's up to you max i
4: don't know i've been uh, working on this episode for a good minute now and i don't know it's it, it's a really intriguing story we were talking about before off off mic and ben's like oh my god that's my favorite movie so you know it should be coming out beginning of october it's a uh, It'll be a lot of fun to listen to. Leave we'll,
0: some mystery in that, and it is also a bit Halloween-y. Yes. Uh, uh, and yeah, wonder what Ben's favorite movie is? You'll have to tune into Ephemeral to find out.
1: You guys are boxing me in. All right. <laughs> well, uh, do check it out. Do check out all of the shows uh that are available on the Ephemeral website. You can follow them to get a peek behind the scenes on the various social meads of choice. You can also follow Ridiculous History and Check this out, Noel. People can follow us uh, not just as a show, but as individuals.
0: That's true. You can find me at How Now, Noel Brown on Instagram exclusively. I don't mess with any of that Twitter nonsense. Mm-hmm. I'm, a, I'm a Twitter uh, uh, lurker
1: at best. And I will not reveal your name uh, because you had we, we had talked about it mm-hmm. out okay. yeah, yeah, no. there Okay, I know. I don't even remember what it is. <laughs> so, <laughs> how do I know and you don't? Okay, so you can find me at Ben Bullen, B O W L I N, on Instagram. Uh, and you can find me at Ben Bullen H S W on Twitter. Thanks as always to our long suffering nemesis, Jonathan Strickland, a.k.a. the Quister. How is he
0: suffering? He makes us suffer. <laughs> he's, yes. He's not, he's not the sufferer.
1: He's the deliverer of suffering. I think uh, yes. He's in the next studio, isn't he? Yeah, he has to be with himself all the time. He's like. <laughs> He's like Pinhead from Hellraiser, man. <laughs> yeah. He's the kind of guy you summon
0: with like a weird demon cube, you know? Uh, I love him. I miss him. I miss him, though. Yeah, I do too. I do too. Yeah. He's going to kill us for that outro. But we've got some other folks to thank, right, Noel? We sure do. Max Williams, super producer extraordinaire. You have probably already thanked him, but he gets a second thanks for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is sort of a thing we do. We're like big on thanking people. Uh, let's see. Christopher Hustiotis, here in spirit. Uh, Eve's Jeffcoat, wherever she may roam. Um... Alex Williams to compose our theme. Second thing for a different thing. <laughs> How does it go again? Yeah. Uh, uh, oh, it's, uh, it's, it's you're hearing it right now. No, no, no. Hey, that's uh, don't, no, don't just suspend your disbelief. It's, happen- it's happening right now. now. We'll see you next time, folks. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you
1: listen to your favorite shows. So, the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card.
2: Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And now, for a limited time, get more Cedar Point fun for less with our limited time bundle for just $49.99.